Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's book is Stranger Will by Caleb J. Ross, published by Otherworld Publications in March of this year. Caleb J. Ross is the author of Charactered Pieces, a short story collection published in 2009. His work has also appeared online and in Eternal Night, a vampire anthology, alongside Christopher Dwyer, who we booked very recently. The story of Stranger Will centers around the main character, William, who makes a living cleaning up stains of dead bodies. Other characters in the book are his fiancée, Julie, uh, his co-worker, Philip, and a strange acquaintance of his named Mrs. Rose. And the story starts out essentially with William and Julie, and uh, Julie's pregnant, and due in a great part to his work, which is very morbid and dark. Uh, William doesn't really want to be a father. He doesn't think it's right to bring a child into such a messed up world. I see it as a tale of parenthood or potential parenthood. There's lots of themes of friendship, trust, and control, and it's uh, it kind of twists you up. It's disturbing, but surprisingly, there's some really, really touching moments in it. Yeah, the book certainly is um, surrounds issues of parenthood. Um, some other things I thought that came up frequently is um, apathy, just society's apathy to things, and just the questions of bringing up a child in this kind of downward spiral of a world that we um, currently live in. Yeah, and the, it's kind of a strange contrast because it's definitely dark, and some of the stuff is really twisted and disturbing. But, I mean, at the surface level, it's a story about the common struggles that everybody goes through and as much as it does have this darkness to it even just describing the scenes that they have to show up at and clean and stuff the story is really accessible to the common person because it struggles and and worries and stuff that practically anybody you know has on a daily basis yeah this is definitely a book it pulls absolutely no punches um dark the darkest book i've read in quite some time it's very disturbing in parts and just very visceral. I mean, it really takes a look at, at some really, really hard subjects. And <laughs> fortunately, it's one of those books that's hard to review without giving too much away. So we're kind of tiptoeing around stuff here again. But yeah, at, at its core, it, it starts with this relationship and this kind of disagreement about parenting a child and then um, launches into a bizarre but uh, truly original story. Uh, a couple of the things that I thought were really, and again, we're not going to be able to talk too deeply about any subject without revealing information that's critical or major to the plot, so we can't go too deeply, but I can just point out some stuff that I you know, thought was really well done, which was, first of all, <clears throat> there's, throughout the book, the use of messenger or carrier pigeons a lot in different... Um, the thing, the thing that I liked the most about it was that at different parts in the book, it has different meaning and different significance, these pigeons. And so I was impressed by the way that uh, he took a concept and throughout the story evolved it um, into a, you know, a different meaning, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, the introduction of the carrier pigeons and this kind of network of people that use them was very interesting. And it, it reminded me of probably the most interesting part of a, a book that Clive Barker wrote years ago called The Great and Secret Show and kind of evoked that same interest in me then. And in that book, it was a uh, 
a clerk working in a dead letter office as he started to see this um, this pattern emerge from some of these letters that he was, uh, it was his job to open them and read them and try to figure out if there was someone they could forward them to and it kind of uh, ran along the same lines as this you know somebody stumbles onto something that's bigger than you know than he initially appeared at or initially thought it would be and what Livius vaguely referred to just now uh, about this group of people. Uh, it's inter- another interesting part of the book is that there's definitely this, um, I don't know if you want to call it a secret society or a conspiracy or whatever, this group of people doing something. And again, it's done in such a way that it's it's not conspicuous or contrived or anything like that. It's just these people are doing a thing and it's the thing that is significant to the story, not the group of people. I thought that was pretty cool. One of my other favorite um, bits about this was um, in Will's relationship with uh, with Julie, his his pregnant fiance. They just have this very fragmented relationship, as Rob mentioned earlier. It was just written so well that at parts I was uncomfortable reading it, like you would be if you were sitting in a room with a couple that was fighting. Like it was written yeah. so well that it just it literally like made me feel uncomfortable as I was reading um, some of this stuff. So certainly, Mr. Ross has uh, has quite a way of evoking emotion, not just in uh, in you know we talked a little bit about how dark and disturbing it was, but even from writing this relationship between the two of them, he, he just has a way to kind of evoke the emotion. I'm sure is what he was looking for is discomfort, and I did. I felt uncomfortable reading some of it. Yeah, he puts you in those awkward moments really well. Of even outside of that, the relationship between William and Julie, when there's awkward moments with uh, the coworker Philip or you know other people in the book, you're right there in it, feeling just as weird as everyone else. Philip, um, an interesting character. I don't want to say too much, but Phil, Philip's that guy that everybody has known someone like him who kind of puts his, uh, you know, is kind of blind to everything because he's in love. He's kind and of a it, doormat. Yeah, but I mean, it's like I said, I, you know, reading about it, he just seemed very familiar, like someone I've known. And I, I think that, again, just another very well written character, um, even though he's not, you know, necessarily a very integral part of the story, he's just someone that's written in a very real way. Mm-hmm. A little bit about the writing itself. The most interesting thing, again, it's, I, I can't say enough, this book isn't for everybody. This book is very disturbing in places. This is not a family read. This is not something you want to recommend to your you know, 15-year-old cousin. In some places, it's so disturbing that I actually kind of shuddered reading it. Um, and that's, uh, that's high praise, I think, coming from me, as, as Rob said, that, yeah. um, when he mentioned that he was surprised that I you know, just would think anything as disturbing as he knows by tastes. But um, <laughs> the book is actually written as a narrative, and Ross manages to convey Will's feelings as well as any first-person story I've read. I really felt I was there with Will and understood what was going on inside him. And, and to, to Caleb's credit, it, it was a conscious choice, I'm assuming, for him to do that. A lot of narratives, you know, third-person, it, it's a tool to move the story forward because you have to you know, show what's going on on the other side of the coin. We get this whole story 100% from Will's perspective. I don't think there's a part in the book that, you know, that's the cutaway to what's going on with someone else. We literally stay with Will. And typically those decisions are made, you know, when you do that, it's, I would imagine it's easier, you know, to do it in first person. But he managed to write a narrative that, you know, looking back at it, I when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, oh, God, I'm pretty sure it was a narrative. But I actually had to think about it for a second, you know, and, and think, you know, was this really first person? Because we were with Will the whole time and I'm pretty sure I knew how, know how he felt. Yeah, you know, in, in such a way that it was almost like it was coming from inside his head. Yeah, and some of the authenticity I think for 
just the feel of the book comes from the fact that like there's nothing necessarily remarkable or unbelievable to any of the characters everybody's got their quirks and everything like that but it's all firmly rooted within reality and i thought that was a really nice kind of relief because typically in a story you'll you'll have you know uh, an average story but then one thing is kind of weirdly exaggerated and that's what makes it interesting and he doesn't do that he just he keeps it really really authentic and and natural feeling he's also very good at being descriptive without being i don't know pretentious yeah nothing feels like it's contrived or or nothing feels like it's there just as a function everything feels like it's there because it's like it's organic you know, there's a couple other characters of note, and again, we're not going to go uh, too deep into descriptions on these characters, but there's a, a character, Mrs. Rose, who kind of leads this cultish group, and uh, you know, ultimately she's the antagonist in this story, but in, in as little as we know about her and as little as we see things from her side of the coin, she's also very believable because he, I don't know how to say this, she's a fairly evil person, but her explanations and the way she treats things and just her mannerisms throughout the book make her acceptable because you know that she's really buying into. Yeah. She believes her into her beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other character, um, Eugene, who, um, is -hmm. a character comes along later in the book and just written in a, in a very, uh, another, probably the character I most was most attached to throughout the book. I would imagine that, and not that he's in it a lot, but, just written into a story so well as to really gain your your attachment, and this isn't a long book, so getting attached to a character that's in a you know sub two hundred page book isn't that easy typically, um, especially this one who probably did appear than you know more than you know fifty or sixty pages of story altogether. Yeah, and the, the way the book starts out really hits the ground running with being disturbing and unsettling, and so I started out thinking that I wasn't gonna. <laughs> have to worry about being attached to or having any kind of touching moments with any of the characters but as the story progresses my feelings about what's going on evolve as the story goes on and without really even knowing it i became more attached to the characters and stuff like that so when the eugene moments came around it it was surprisingly easy to yeah get attached to that character and really like him um i you know and I'd hate to hear this on a review of a book I wanted to read, but I just have to share this with you. And I think this gives a a perfect picture of the type of just, you know, visceral imagery that, that you're going to get um, when you decide to pick this book up, which I hope you will. There's a scene where two of the characters are playing catch over a wall while they're throwing back and forth a dead raccoon. <laughs> and, and by the time you get to this point in the book, it's not even that big of an issue when you read it. Like you kind of read it and go, that's kind of weird, but it no longer even strikes you as really, really bizarre. Yeah. That's one of those contrasts. That's uh, it's really gross, but kind of touching all in one package. And it's kind of unexpected that way. And that's one of the things that I thought was nice about this book was that the Ross's use of, of perspective is pretty cool where he can get you, he can start you out seeing things in one very clear, very, specific way and then as the story progresses things that happen slowly shift your perspective where like the dark things like livius was saying are acceptable because you're maybe desensitized or just used to them but um yeah i don't know the the way the perspective shifts is so subtle that it uh it kind of makes everything possible all, all in one ball i don't know if that makes sense i think it does and i i think you're you're spot on i mean Here's a writer, this is his first full-length novel, 
And I think we're going to expect to see some really, really good things from him. I mean, he's, he takes a story that's, as far as I can tell, truly unique. I haven't read anything else that, you know, that dealt with the, the type of subject matter and in the way that, that he did it and just delivered a really clear story, one that makes you think. And one that I know for certain will be sticking with me for some time, not just from the subject matter, but from the writing and the style and some of the characters as well. Yeah, and let's be honest, like, it's not like it's a easy topic to approach that he chose. He chose parenthood, doubting parenthood. He chose the whole idea of, like, having a pregnancy and, like, considering your options. That's always going to be a touchy subject. And then you throw on top of it a bunch of, like, death and gore and stuff like that. And, I, I mean, and if, if you just pitch that to someone, they'd, be, they'd tell you that you're setting yourself up for failure. But he really turned out a book that is has worth and is is entertaining and well-rounded so bravo to him for taking what most people would think would be an impossible uh, task and doing something good with it okay i know i have a couple of quotes that i'd like to read rob do you have anything yeah i've got a couple why don't you get it started okay this one doesn't require any setup over a slight hill, once William's driveway, the man puts his arm out and says, watch your step with wide eyes, like he had witnessed neglect once prior, and the result burdens him still. Uh, I think this is just a good example of how, how Caleb J. Ross uh, can write in a very, very simple way and just structure together a really good you know, description sentence, again, without coming across as, I think the word I used earlier was pretentious. Right on. Uh, This first one of mine actually also doesn't need any kind of introduction. They walk together to the van, feet sinking gently into the damp dirt below them. Each footprint seems a grave plot for a small creature. Just some imagery that he used that I thought was... It was simple, but it got the point across very well. It gave you a a vivid image in your mind. And then my my second and last one, and this one... um, Again, I kind of apologize in advance for... Reading this kind of caught me off guard, and not that I don't want it, you know, to catch other people off guard, but I think this is just the perfect example of how, you know, how disturbing a book this is, and hopefully it'll give you some implication on who should be and who shouldn't be reading it. Philip took the doctor's smile to mean that referring to the daily tragedy that will be Sheila checking her pants for half the face of her dead child as an unpleasantry was his version of a joke. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. will be I mean, permanently shudder-worthy for me. Well, you know what it is, and and it's it's a great line, and it's a you know I mean it really puts you in the God I was almost gonna say in the mood. It puts you in that place to really understand <laughs> you know what's going on with the characters and just how dark a story it is, and it's just it's very very well written. But again, it's just not for everybody. Yeah, not pulling punches like you said before. Yep. I got one quote to round this off that um, kind of lightens the mood a little bit after that dark one. The setup for this is this is uh, Philip, the co-worker, and um, as we described him before as kind of a doormat, but kind of blindly devoted to a relationship and love and everything. Uh, this is Philip reflecting on the situation and how he felt after finding that his partner, I don't know if it was a wife or a fiancé or a girlfriend at the time, had left him. I thought I'd lost everything when Maxine left, but then I found her finger in a plotted plant and everything looked a little brighter, you know? I love that. <laughs> I love that line. And then I love the fact that that's lighter, that that's how we're going to lighten up the darkness of, of this book. So, <laughs> And that's the thing. That's the thing is that like, even the guy that's got the least darkness in his life is still not completely repulsed by the idea of finding someone who he cared for their finger 
somewhere in his house. Yeah. Again, um, a ton of credit to Caleb J. Ross for really writing a for really writing a poignant novel, dark and disturbing and visceral as it might be, extremely well written. You know, some very very vivid imagery as you might have just gleaned from those last uh, those last few quotes, and I'm certainly looking forward to uh, to some more work from him. All right. That being said, do you want to do a quick wrap up and give our stars? I would love to. I think I've said all of this stuff two or three times um, now, but uh, again, a wholly original story. Had I not have been hampered by tedious things like work and sleep, I probably would have read it in a single sitting. It's very well written and deals with some very dark issues. So again, you know, this isn't something I don't think someone in the process of becoming a parent should necessarily read. Maybe (laughs) if you have small children, probably not for you to read. And you need a little bit of a strong stomach to to read this one. If you qualify and meet the prerequisites I just set there, (laughs) I strongly recommend that you pick up Stranger Will for a very vivid picture of a guy going through some some really bad stuff. The writing, again, excellent. And I can't say enough, this is a really, really great book. Uh, It's going at four and a half stars. Um, the highest number of stars that we've given out on Booked, again, um, a tie with another book that we did earlier, two other books, I think, now. So um, kudos from from me, from my half of Booked, for this fantastic, fantastic story. All right. Uh, I was trying to think of the best way to describe the story in general because we it's easy to point out that it's really, really dark and disturbing, but it's not always that way. And... Um, and I was trying to think of a, a good analogy for it. And the best thing I could think of is I spent winters in Alaska. And if you know anything about the way that winters in Alaska work is it's dark most of the time, but not all the time. And then there's moments where at sunrise it's dark and then it gets a little bit brighter and a little bit brighter and it's never fully light out. It's like a constant dusk. And that's kind of how I feel about the book where it starts out really dark and it gradually gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And there's always a darkness to it but there's still a light that shines through. And so that's my thoughts on the story in general. The writing, I really, really enjoyed. Like I said, he does a great job of not exaggerating any of the characters, and he, he makes everything feel like it's there organically, like it's not a plot device or, or just something that's thrown in there to make something that he wants to work work. So I really don't have anything bad to say about it, and overall I gave it a four. Again, I like the story. It's a little dark, like Olivia said. But overall, a really, really good read. Okay, a little more about the author. Again, Caleb J. Ross. Uh, He is currently in the midst of an online tour um, promoting his book, Stranger Will. Very exciting and very recent news. We found out earlier today that uh, Caleb J. Ross will uh, be making a stop here at Booked Podcast for an interview, um, hopefully in the next week or so. I'm very excited about that. It'll be our first author interview. And he's going to be on this tour all the way to November um, when he will be releasing his second novel, I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. (laughs) So uh, I'm not going to talk any more about that. Perhaps we can can quiz him on that when when he's here on our show. Yeah, exciting news that uh, we're going to have an author interview. I'm pretty excited about that. Same here. So uh, we've got a four, we've got a four and a half. We've got a great book. Um, you can buy that uh, at Amazon.com in yeah. the ebook version, which is uh, fairly inexpensive at five ninety-five. It's also available in um, 
in a regular paper edition. Not sure what the price is on that. And I do know I saw that it is also available on Barnes and Noble. Not sure what the pricing there is. I'm gonna guess it's probably five ninety-five. You know, thorough research that we do around here at Booked. Yep. I can't go without being a snob. Uh, I have a very quick word snob, but it's kind of a compliment in that um, there was only one word that I really found within the book that I could snob. So good job on that. The really, it's a detail that's so small that it could either A, have just been overlooked or B, have been something where in the conversion from like uh, one format to another just messed up or something. But I believe two different times in the book, dying is spelled D-I-E-I-N-G instead of D-Y-I-N-G. And again, not that big of a deal, not a big goof, but it was enough where I was just like, it gave me pause and I noticed it. So just a quick word snob. And again, if it's the only thing I could find, I say kudos for, for doing a great job. Okay, and now that I got that messy business out of the way, uh, I don't have a read this, not that, because I enjoyed the book, so I'm not going to tell people not to read it. But I do have a couple of other just authors to mention who, uh, if you are into them, you would like the book we are reviewing, or if you like the book we're reviewing, you probably would like them as well. And that's Craig Clevenger, author of The Contortionist Handbook, as well as Dermaphoria, two books that... Livius introduced me to, and I just, I, I'm eternally grateful because they're some of the best writing I've ever read. And for the kind of darker tone and style, Will Christopher Bear, who has been mentioned on here a lot, but uh, Bear is another one of those people who doesn't really pull punches with his imagery or what he writes about. And so I felt it was kind of similar to what we read here. Um, I agree with you on both of those. And again, some of my favorite books there as well. So I can figure out a way to mold Will Christopher Bear into a recommendation for anything. You know, <laughs> like Danielle Steele, Will Christopher Bear does romance really good. Yeah, he, He's your Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> exactly. So um, I'm uh, going in a different direction. Andrew Vax, who is a, I don't want to say spend too much time talking about him, but uh, just a phenomenal author. Um, the reason I recommend him, any of his books. So there you go. He has like 19 novels or something. Hmm. You can read any of them if you like this. And the reason I make the the um, comparison is just books dealing with kind of nature versus nurture and uh, the family ties from Vax's standpoint, more or less how family ties mean very little or nothing in most cases, just because of how people treat each other and how, you know, you can choose your, your you know, who your family is based on, you know, the people you care about and not by blood ties. So anything Andrew Vax has written most recently, The Weight, um, W-E-I-G-H-T, Weight. And uh, I think Andrew's got another book coming out, but it's not until next year. But very gritty street stuff, not quite as visceral as um, A Stranger Will, but still very good dealing with relationships and why relationships are important, or in some cases, very unimportant, depending on which side of the coin they take place. All right. All right, Rob, you have a shout out this week, I believe? I do. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned this on a previous episode or not, but I feel like if we haven't, it's kind of a crime because this is just one of those kind of one-off books that, much like Apathy that Livia's mentioned last time, it was kind of an anomaly. Uh, it was really entertaining and unique. And the book is Winky, written by Clifford Chase. It came out in 2006. Another book in an endless list of books that Livia suggested for me. The main character in the story is a teddy bear named Winky, who... Uh, after his owner uh, becomes an adult and he is just sitting on a shelf essentially feels neglected and wills himself to life he heads out into the world and um, based on some circumstances and coincidences he's uh, mistaken for a terrorist 
and ends up on the run from the law. And the overarching themes in the book are basically it's a commentary on media and the hysteria that can be caused by the media when um, they twist a story into something that's really not. It's a very unique story, and it's really, <laughs> it's really entertaining and funny, but at the same time, it covers a lot of very serious moments. So if you want to read a book about a teddy bear who's being chased as a terrorist, uh, I think Winky is a really, really good read. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a book where a teddy bear is being chased <laughs> as a terrorist, I think this might be the only one. I don't, I don't think you have a lot of options on this one. That's fair. Uh, I like to throw it on Winky a little bit here, too. Um, not only was it a, a really funny book um, for a lot of parts, it was also a very, very sad book at times, too. So, I mean, uh, Clifford Chase covered uh, covered quite a few bases with that one. Yeah, and it really goes into, I mean, beyond just the whole, like, media hysteria thing that I mentioned, a lot of identity and acceptance and, you know, being different and things like that as well. So, yeah, there is definitely some serious tones to it. Interestingly, I just was, <laughs> I was looking up Winky online tonight so that I could talk about it and not sound like I didn't know what I was saying, and I discovered that this year, from March to April, it was actually adapted and run as an off-Broadway play called Clifford Chase's Winky which I thought was really exciting, and sadly, that run has closed, so I won't be able to go see it. It was in New York City, and it was kind of disappointing because I thought it would be interesting to see it in a different medium, and that's what I got for Winky. Check it out. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to have Caleb J. Ross on on his own episode for an interview. We're not sure if that will take place before or after our next book review episode, so I'm going to tell you about what we're reading next. Um, we're going back to the uh, Billy Lafitte Well as Hog Doggin, the sequel to Yellow Medicine, which we reviewed here a few weeks ago, um, is coming out for e-release on June 6th. So on or before June 6th, we're going to have Hog Doggin for you. Again, if you didn't listen to the Yellow Medicine podcast, you can go back and listen to it and catch up on what that's about. I'm reaching back into my memory from two, three years ago when I originally read Hog Doggin. I'm pretty sure you can read it as a standalone so don't necessarily not tune in because you didn't uh, read Yellow Medicine, Hog Doggin. Um, again, predetermined to be a great book because I enjoyed it a whole lot the first time around. So again, kind of a spoiler on where this is going to go. I guarantee it's going to be a good review on my end. Rob will be reading it for the first time, though. And I might hate it. It's possible. But it is Billy Lafitte. And I like Billy Lafitte. So we can look forward to some more Anthony Neal Smith in our future. Like Livia said, uh, we will have Caleb Ross on. So the timeline of what episodes are coming up is kind of unsure. And I think we're going to try and throw in another interlude because we got some good feedback on our interlude podcast. So we will have a timely review of Hog Doggin uh, around the time of its release, but we don't know exactly what's when. But I can guarantee the next uh, next few episodes are going to be entertaining and good. Hey, Rob, why don't we tell people how they can find out which episodes are coming up and when. We try to be really vocal on Twitter and keep people updated about anything that's going on with books, whether it's what episode's coming up or, you know, if if something's going on with a book we recently talked about. So I definitely recommend following us on Twitter because we try to be interactive and keep people informed. And we also regularly post an update on our Facebook fan page for Booked Podcast, which is facebook.com slash booked podcast it couldn't be easier than that so we'll tell you ahead of time what we're going to be talking about we'll tell you when it's out and we'll talk to anybody who's talking to us on the website hey guys and please take a minute leave us a comment if you liked our podcast if you didn't like our podcast we just want to know who's listening so hit us up website bookpodcast.com you can comment there as rob just mentioned facebook and twitter or even itunes if that's where you're getting your uh your streaming media from yeah, if you think we're doing a terrible job, 
be vocal about it because we're um, the type of shells that will just abandon all of our integrity and just do what you want us to. So <laughs> give us <laughs> give us a review on iTunes and tell us what you think. Uh, subscribe there. And if you can figure out, we still haven't figured out podcast.com. So give us a shout if you know what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah, if anyone from podcast.com is listening, can you please <laughs> tell me where we can find our podcast? All right, and that wraps up another edition of the Booked Podcast. Till next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.